Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today we're going to be talking about something very different. Uh, if you're not interested in D&D, that is Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Magic Lore, or the Plane of New Phyrexia, then this might not be for you. But we'll be returning next week with a very long set review for New Capenna, so <laughs> I promise there is plenty of, of typical Commander Theory content coming soon. Uh, now, for those of you who are interested in all those things and are game to hear about uh, a very special project I've been working on, um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Phyrexian Rebirth, which is an unofficial source book for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition that I wrote and which you can download for free right now by following the link in the episode description. Uh, I'll start by saying that Wizards of the Coast owns everything related to Dungeons & Dragons, Magic the Gathering, and of course, New Phyrexia. Uh, and this is just a fan project intended to provide a resource for people interested in exploring magic's strangest and darkest setting through role-playing. So in this episode, we're we're kind of be doing a little bit of an interview style where yeah. Zach asks me some, some questions about the, the book. And um, I try to get you all the information you need to decide if this is right for your playgroup. Yeah, Nick put in a lot of cool things and like put in a lot of hard work to make this like fun and playable. So it's uh, going to be cool if you are interested in D&D or if you just like the lore of New Phyrexia because we're going to be seeing uh, a lot more Phyrexia in this year. So Most likely, yeah. Yeah, probably. That's kind of a, you know, a safe bet, I would say, a safe mm -hmm. assumption. Then let's get started then. So what is included in the source book like what will people get when they download this source book onto their device of choice sure um so the source book includes detailed lore pulled from mothership stories uh the comics um the planeswalkers guide to new phyrexia so all these different resources that wizards put out around the time of um of scars of mirrodin block uh and the all this information is going to help players who are new to the setting or unfamiliar with its specifics to understand how the world works and how to role play in it. Uh, it also contains rules for creating Phyrexian characters, stat blocks for common Phyrexian creatures, as well as legendary characters on New Phyrexia. Um, and it also contains two complete adventures set on New Phyrexia. So, um, you know, if you like, like, this is a, a dense plane with a lot of weirdness. So if you want a, um, a pre-made adventure that you can just run your group through to give them a flavor, the flavor of New Phyrexia, uh, there's two complete adventures that you can move forward with. It's really cool. If, if anyone has never run a uh, like a source book campaign um, or like a D&D module, um, they actually are really fun. They offer like a decent amount of like wiggle room for what happens and we're kind of like really cool glimpses into some like creative uh spaces and i think this one meets all of those requirements too so yes thank you i tried really hard to um give the dms a lot of latitude for um to well i, I tried to include a lot of different possibilities based on what directions mm -hmm. the players might want to go in um so it's should even if your uh, playgroup is doesn't like to, you know, play by the rules or, or like tends to get off the beaten path, um, there should be a lot to accommodate those kinds of groups. 
Mm-hmm. So that kind of uh, moving on from that question, then uh, what drove you to write this book? So I'd say it was mainly like curiosity. Um, I've always been really interested in, in new Phyrexia as a plane. Um, but well, between when the Scars of Mirrodin storyline concluded in 2011 and the reintroduction of New Phyrexia into the current magic storyline with the release of Kaldheim, um, Urbrask and Shieldred fell out of power and Elish Norn became the ultimate ruler of New Phyrexia. So these are really big events in the history of the plane, but we never get to see them happen on the cards or in any of the magic stories or other media. So I was just sort of curious what happened. How exactly did this occur? Like uh, as of um, when we're recording this in, in April, 2022, the only information we have about how Elish Norn outmaneuvered Urbrask and Shieldred is two sentences from two <laughs> different stories uh in, in 2013 we got the story the lost confession and, and in that story elspeth states although the resistance had limited access to information we believed elish norn had dominated urbrasks and shieldred's domains um and then very recently in the the 2022 story the side of freedom urbrask states Elish Norn has dominated all of New Phyrexia, Jingataxius, <laughs> Vorinclex, and many of the Black Thanes have pledged themselves and their spheres to her grand vision. That's all we know. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, kind of frustrating if you're somebody who's really interested in this plane. And so last fall, I decided to run a D&D campaign that would use all of the available lore to try to present my best guess at what exactly happened during this tumultuous period in New Phyrexian history. Um, so this source book is an adaptation of the adventures I created to answer the question and the rules I used to capture the feel of living in New Phyrexia. And I think that's really cool. And I, I also think it is like pretty strange that such a big part of the magic universe has been like unexplored for like, what, like nine years 10 years now yeah yeah something very like long that. time if you're a new phyrexian fan yeah and, and just like phyrexia which is becoming more and more part of the story as we go on because i i think rightly so they're like such cool villains just not getting any exposition like even when we were on dominaria and we got those little hints that karn was looking for the golgothian silex to blow up phyrexia like we that's pretty much all we got about mm-hmm. it right like we didn't get any like Oh, and Phyrexia is doing this. We just got like, I'm going to blow them, <laughs> which is, um, I mean, an important story beat for sure. But like, maybe, maybe you want a little bit more. So I think this is a great place to kind of fill in the gaps for, for you and your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is unique about new Phyrexia? Um, why would you, uh, why would magic players, why would D&D players want to explore it? So uh, I can't speak to all the the many, many D&D settings out there, but among Magic's settings, I can pretty confidently say that New Phyrexia is the strangest and scariest one of them. Um, Like Mirrodin was already a unique world where metal pervaded the landscape and its inhabitants. uh, And then New Phyrexia took that and overlaid this civilization with a completely alien ethos. Like, Phyrexians barely acknowledge the value of individuals. They view their civilization as a collection of raw materials that should be arranged in the most 
efficient possible way to achieve the goal of converting the entire multiverse into a single Phyrexian machine. And part of what makes Phyrexia so terrifying is that these raw materials uh, that they see as belonging to their civilization um, include biological tissue. And a Phyrexian would happily move bones and bloods from one place to another if they thought it would improve Phyrexia. And think nothing of the consequences like you're ending a life Um, (laughs) so i I think players could have a lot of fun exploring the way these values play out in phyrexian society and especially when they're interpreted through the philosophies of magic's five colors and i think the dungeon masters too could have a lot of fun uh expanding and and world building in this plane um you know that it's it's only a source book. It's only a couple of, of adventures included, but I, I try to include a lot of details in the adventure to show how Phyrexian values seep into the most banal parts of their culture to make them like frightening and, and scary. Um, so, for example, like what does a Phyrexian elevator look like uh, if they are going for maximum efficiency and no uh, and have no real concern for like the safety or well-being of their individual parts, like that's going to lead to something that we would think of as, as nightmarish. Um, and I think DMs who are interested in world building can, can take this theme and run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's definitely like something that is interesting about this plane. And I think this is a good place to uh, get into a little disclaimer that like, um, if you're a magic player, you already know that Phyrexia is not for, the uh the squeamish <laughs> oh so absolutely. There, there's going to be some body horror um and there's it, it is going to be um spooky <laughs> you know <laughs> it's going to be gross um but it's going to be gross in like a uh cerebral way which might be worse for some people <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah i agree i think like one of the things that kind of captures people's minds with phyrexia is like how like brutal it is and i think that same uh kind of body horror that same kind of grossness but also like fascination is kind of like what draws people to it the like efficiency above all else is um not something that we encounter too much in our daily lives hopefully hopefully you're not encountering (laughs) that in your daily life but um but yeah, so how likely do you think it is that your uh, fan-made work is going to be overwritten by an official Wizards treatment at some point? Do, do you think that Wizards is going to release like the new Phyrexia source book when or if we eventually get to new Phyrexia? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that the current magic storyline is, is building towards a return to new Phyrexia or at least like an incursion of new Phyrexians on some beloved plane. And given that we've seen three Dungeons and Dragons source books and six plane shift treatments for magic settings in the last seven years, um, I think it's not unlikely that we're going to see some sort of D&D resource for New Phyrexia as the world becomes prominent in the story again. Um, so my rules for Phyrexian characters are probably going to get overwritten at some point. Um, my stat blocks will probably get replaced by official content. But what I think will continue to be valuable in the future is that the two adventures i've included in this book uh which i doubt wizards is going to replicate in their release yeah so at at the very least it's going to continue to be useful as a module and also like 
we have no idea when the eventual return to new Phyrexia or like the set focused on Phyrexians is going to come. We have no idea when we're going to see an official wizard's treatment. So I think my book is going to be a great resource for folks who want to start role playing on new Phyrexia right now and don't want to wait, you know, a year, two years or longer for an official mm-hmm. release. Yeah. And, and just to remind everyone, like we know that um, return to Dominaria, uh, it, what's it called? Dominaria. Uh, United. United. Um, yeah, so Dominaria United is coming out as the summer set. Is that what that is? And then um, Brothers War is coming out as the fall set. And the Brothers War is the kind of like original conflict from like the early 90s magic where Urza and Mishra basically ruin all of uh, like Terracer and, and like the, start the Ice Age. Yes, yeah, start essentially. the Ice just completely uh destroy everything and it's what the antiquity set is based around like look we're finding all these artifacts from this war and it's where the phyrexians kind of make their debut where urza and mishra discover the power stones the might stone and the meek stone split off from a power stone they each ignite their sparks and mishra is like yo these guys are pretty cool and urza's like hey that sucks <laughs> mm-hmm. um and there's a lot more to it than that um urza was never <laughs> good if you ever read the brothers war book like you might be like me who goes, hmm, why isn't Urza being a good person? And the answer is because he never really <laughs> is mm-hmm. a good person. Um, but for at, at best, he's like the better of two options. Yeah, exactly. But um, even in those first books, like when they're talking about Phyrexia, like the Phyrexians kind of like captivated me. They're like barely talked about, um, especially in those like kind of early books before we get to like more Weatherlight stuff. And they're still like whenever they show up, you're like, Oh, that's that's crazy. That's like really interesting. That's cool. So, I think it's definitely an IP that even if Wizards comes back and even if Wizards like changes it, like this is definitely something you could use in your your home campaigns, and um, it probably will be still fairly compatible with everything. You know. Mm-hmm. So, all that said, how accurate do you think your representation of New Phyrexia is compared to like all this official canon that we've talked about? That's a that's a good question. So I'll start by saying that like the official canon only goes so far and and in creating my adventures, especially like I had to add new material. So there are things that are not directly confirmed anywhere that I just had to do in order to, to build it out enough for some adventures. Um, I think that that's pretty minor, though. When presenting things that are currently enshrined in the Planeswalker's Guide or one of the stories or some other official source, um, I tried to be as accurate as possible, but there were a few cases where the canon documents didn't make sense or, or seemed to contradict each other. And in these instances, I tried to like add specificity that would explain these issues away. So I didn't um, say like this is entirely true and this part of the canon is false, but tried to navigate it and explain why they could both be true at the same time so mm-hmm. for for example like the the treatment of souls in official documents is kind of thorny um in the planeswalkers guide to new phyrexia it states that the vast majority of phyrexians don't seem to understand the mind soul or spirit the way other sentient beings do and that belief in the soul is practically heresy to the phyrexian system uh, but the Planeswalker's Guide also states 
that a Phyrexian named Vron and his completed minions use soul siphons to suck the souls of the victims out of their heads and place them into vessels. So I had a little trouble like squaring those two pieces of information. Yeah. <laughs> like, like why would it be heretical to believe in souls if souls are an observable phenomenon? And like, why are most Phyrexians unable to understand the soul while some have such a sophisticated understanding that they can manipulate and contain them? So I added a, a little bit of lore to answer these and other lingering questions, and I think it adds a little bit of depth to the setting and a little bit of um, and like the the ramifications kind of um, create or add opportunities for conflict within Phyrexia, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's a great explanation. There are a lot of characters in your source book. Um, you went like pretty deep finding like lore and names and people um what like when people are playing the source book the first off like who who will they be playing are they going to be playing like did, did you rewrite like elves and dwarves and things like that or like how will the characters be interacting with the universe they're in like i, I assume that they could just be an elf and like find themselves on new phyrexia but what was kind of like your uh your intended means of entering Phyrexia? That's that's a great question. So um, you're, there are many races native to Mirrodin and the um, the official canon like does allow a little bit of room for like surviving Mirrins that are just hiding in different places. So, you know, of the, the races that are common in Mirrodin, you could easily just play one of those completely as it's written in the... Um, you know, the player's handbook or however, whatever resource. Um, and then you're just somebody who's uh, constantly hiding from the Phyrexians who've dominated the plane and uh, going out of your way to to not get infected. But you can also, and, and these are the rules I included in the source book, um, you can also play as a completed version of one of those races. Um, and I explain like how you could do that conversion. And so I also included... Um, rules for if you want to play a uh, vat grown phyrexian so one that is uh, grown from a newt and and basically has never been any race other than phyrexian um, and so you can play somebody who is just a a mirin dealing with the the forces of phyrexia or a completed mirin who has a history uh living outside phyrexia and then um is now part of the the thing they once feared, which I think has a lot of opportunities for for interesting role play. But like, you know, Phyrexian, and then of course you can play a, a Vatgrown Phyrexian who's never known anything else. Um, mm. But like, uh, Vatgrown Phyrexians are essentially like have no family bonds, and as a result, they also like, um interact with friendship a little bit differently than people who have been part of a family system. So I think there's sort of like an internal conflict between the way those background Phyrexians see things and how a Phyrexian who once, you know, did have a family and did have close intimate relationships um, might just exist in society in new Phyrexia. So lots of interesting opportunities for role play, lots of um, character options, and I, I tried to keep it open-ended so that people can play the game how they want to. Yeah, no, I think you did a great job there. Um, 
Can you like go over some, uh, like we don't have to spend too much time on this, but there's some, um, basically Phyrexian augmentations that characters can pick up. Can we talk about some of those that might be like fun for people? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the like most notable things about Phyrexians is that they are extremely modular. Like there is, there are a couple like base units of Phyrexian life, like the typically the newt, which is a, a genderless humanoid. Um, and then in new Phyrexia, they also have germs, which um, kind of take the shape of the machine they are put into essentially and animate it. But in, in either case, like these base units of Phyrexian life are then uh, augmented in order to, um, to give us the, the broad array of shapes and sizes and, and, um, all different sorts of Phyrexian life. So a, a Phyrexian plague Lord or Phyrexian obliterator, uh, and like, a a suture priest come from the same basic unit. It's just the, the changes, the like grafted organs and the, um, yeah. like robo, uh, robo arms. And yeah, exactly. Final that, augmentations. Yeah. Yeah. So all the like biological and mechanical changes, um, in, inflicted on people are what give us the the many different shapes and forms so just to give a, a couple examples of what these might look like um they like chameleon skin grafts like you can change the pigmentation of your skin to blend in with your surroundings uh and you get a plus two bonus to stealth checks that rely on sight so these are things that you um, can pick when you initially create the character and then again at fifth level um, and then there's also ways to get more of them by serving prominent phyrexians and being rewarded for your service to phyrexia um, but i just wanted to give players ways to customize their characters um, and, and sort of slowly shift towards whatever phyrexian form most appeals to them so, for example, like in the, the campaign I ran, uh, I had a friend who was really interested in Phyrexian Obliterator. And so every time he got the opportunity, he would get one of these augmentations that would bring him closer to um, to being a Phyrexian Obliterator. And that was really exciting to him. Or another friend like essentially wanted to role play as Sabo Tsavok the um <laughs> phyrexian the one of the prominent phyrexians from the phyrexian invasion of dominaria and so he would always pick the augmentations that would bring him closer to that basically i want to allow people to to bring whatever they most love about new phyrexia in magic into dnd no that's i love that that's really cool um and i think as someone if you're listening to this who hasn't played dnd before like um, this is a pretty easy on ramp, like fifth edition, one of the like um one of the innovations of it, one of the things that was really cool about it was that they they basically looked at D and D and were like, Okay, well what's like what do we need to be D and D and then like let's make a good game out of that. So they kind of simplified things and to some people they they were upset about that, but I think to most people, um like me, I've been playing since three five, and uh, I love fifth edition. I think it's just a great way to get people to play. 
Because honestly, it's kind of hard to play D&D if you don't have friends that want to play with you. So 5th mm-hmm. edition helped kind of solve that problem. And if, if you're listening to this, you play Magic, but you don't play D&D, I actually think this is a great way to kind of jump in these uh, adventure modules. Uh, I forgot the name of them for a sec. These adventure modules that uh, Wizards put out, that, that uh, Nick is putting out like this, kind of give you an easy on-ramp as a GM if it's your first time. Um, you don't really need to create your own world and fill it with NPCs and uh, come up with a bunch of names and stuff. You kind of can just uh, read the module, get some friends together, talk stuff out, and get going with like not that much effort put in. Um, so it's a lot more gaming, a lot more fun, and a lot less prep time which is uh, one of the things that can uh, <laughs> be a downer to, to some people. So I very highly recommend this if you are a Magic player who has not played D&D before because you kind of can just read stuff and it's going to click pretty easily because it's stuff that if you've been playing a while, um, you've kind of heard about or you, you know about or it, it makes sense. Uh, and Phyrexians, um, for all of their good and bad qualities, I think make a lot of sense as like flavorful villains and like what their goal is you know they're pretty clear on on what they want and who they are so um definitely a good easy spot to jump in basically this module has like two specific adventures um do you want to talk about where they both start yeah uh so essentially like the the first adventure included here starts uh right at the the very end of the Mirren Phyrexian War, and you get to play an instrumental role in some of the events that we know for sure took place. Um, like for example, the angel, the Mirren Angel, um, that was captured and eventually completed into Atraxa. She forms a, a pretty central component of the first adventure. Um. And we we also like know that there's an end state where uh, Urbrask is defeated and um, Shieldred is defeated. So I tried to figure out what would be the most likely way that would occur, and and that kind of leads into the the events of the two adventures. I don't want to give too much away for people who might be a player in one of these. Yeah, definitely. Um, but. Essentially, if you are are very familiar with the New Phyrexian storyline, you you might have an idea of uh, of why Urbrask in particular might see a downfall in New Phyrexia, um, and and that's kind of where I'm coming from. And and the the adventures are designed to lead into each other. Um, the the first one sets up what happens in the second one, but you can also play them individually, like the the second campaign doesn't isn't hugely dependent on the events of the first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many like environments are you going to get to see if you go through these, these adventure modules, are they just going to be mostly sticking to like the quiet furnace? Like what, where can players expect to go if they go through this adventure module? That's, that's a great question. I tried to give, um, people or, or, or players a taste uh, a little taste of everything um and and sort of give people the resources they need to explore anything they liked further um so the the surface of phyrexia uh there on the surface of phyrexia there are you know um little biomes that uh, are, are sort of aligned with one faction or the other 
like there is the the tangle forest which is the the green part of phyrexia and that's under the control of vorinclex and there's opportunities for the players to explore that if they are or, or, or visit there at the very least um there is the the mephidros swamp um which is the the black part of phyrexia and uh you know there's wildlife native to there the players can pass through there if they like um there's the the Oxida mountain chain which is the red part the the razor grass fields um that's the the white part of phyrexia and then there's the quicksilver sea that's the blue part so there are opportunities for the players to pass through all of these and then of course within phyrexia there are nested spheres um which are much stranger and much less analogous to natural parts of our own world so for example like there is the the furnace is uh, a nested sphere below the surface that is an entire layer of phyrexia which is just mm, kind of what you might imagine like dante's and or hell to be like rather just like uh you know molten metal like rivers of molten metal and uh you know forges and molten slag and and um just like a, a very hot dangerous place uh there's a mica synth layer which is um just almost like an enormous three-dimensional spider web that is covered in like sluices and and oil dripping down the entire length of it um there is a this there's actually a a flesh layer that uh was was another sphere within it which is mostly made of biological matter and then there's the core which is um not only like the the center of mana for the plane but also the location of the panopticon and, and karn's throne so very a lot of very interesting places i try to throughout the course of these two adventures you're going to visit pretty much everywhere or at least have the opportunity to go everywhere um and i, I tried to include resources so that um you know if you gravitate towards one place in particular if you think the flesh layer is just the coolest thing you've ever heard of or if you really like <laughs> white phyrexia and then the razor grass fields um you'll have enough info to to role play there for and explore for a little while mm-hmm. yeah i think that was actually the thing that um when i saw the source book that i was really impressed by was how like well and deep you described the uh the different locations i thought that was really cool is there anyone else you want to credit with helping you produce this book uh, absolutely. So, of course, I want to start off by um, attributing a lot of the the lore in this book to the creative team at Wizards of the Coast. Um, a lot of the, the info, especially in like the the lore chapter of this book, comes from the Planeswalkers Guide to New Phyrexia and all the other sources they've written. Um, so, could not have been possible without them. Credit also goes to the D and D team for releasing the D and D style guide, the adventure design guide. And other resources that made writing this a lot easier than it might otherwise have been. Uh, and then I want to thank all my friends who playtested the uh, the campaign. Um, I think that like that let me see some of the the pain points and some of the and figure out some of the likely decisions that players would make that I could then develop more content to meet. And uh, just everyone who gave me feedback on the drafts I wrote. Um, so. A lot of people to thank, um, and this was uh, 
yeah, there, there's a lot of support behind the, the creation of this book. That's cool. It's hard to make a, a good adventure module without uh, having people <laughs> test it out. So um, I think this is really cool. And again, I'm going to kind of echo a sentiment from earlier. Like, if you haven't played D&D before, I think this is a good place to jump in as long as you're okay with Phyrexian business, you know. And if you are an avid D&D player, I'd, I would definitely recommend checking this out because, like, the setting is very different than a lot of D&D settings. Um, you still get a lot of D&D action, but the fairy has, uh, like, a weird, like, spinal tap that gives them acid blood. So it's <laughs> uh, it's cool. It's fun. You can do a lot of stuff with it like not if even if you just look at the source book and use some of the um material for maybe like a homebrew phyrexian campaign uh, which i think this gives you a very very easy like on-ramp to doing um i think there's a lot here for people who love magic people who like phyrexia uh and yeah i would just recommend trying it out it's pretty cool well thanks for chatting with me about it and thanks to everyone who downloads it um let me know what you think of it. Like this is uh, this is not a, a hardcover book that is set in stone. Like if you know if I get good feedback, I'm happy to release new editions. But um, I also think it's a pretty well put together book, and you should be able to take it and run with it. Yeah. So yeah, download it. It'll be in the show notes. Tell your friends. Have some fun, and uh, we'll be back next week with some more magic content um it'll be a little bit different this time because uh i planned <laughs> not 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 the best in regards to when the set was coming out but um i think you'll still all like what's going on yep uh well thank you again uh and please take a look at the source book um and you know maybe if you're not a regular DD player but uh you're interested in the setting this could be your your on-ramp into it but Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.